I think I, if I was more on the ball, I probably would have uh, planned better, but uh, I didn't. <laughs> and, uh, but I wanted to just bring your attention that, that tomorrow, I believe, is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And segregation and ended in 1964. Like, some of y'all remember that. We are a white church, and we should care about that. And so I just want to encourage you uh, to watch maybe a sermon, uh, maybe the I Have a Dream sermon. It's just, it brings me to tears every time I see it. Um, or grab uh, the Christian Standard's been doing this amazing thing. Uh, Fred uh, Gray is an influential, um, I'd never even, I didn't even know who he was. Um, an influ- influential person, in, <clears throat> sorry, I don't know, um, in the civil rights movement. He comes from our churches. Like we had a hand in that. Uh, and so anyway, I'd encourage you to grab this and, and read it, or you can check it out online if that's your thing. I feel like that was really heavy, and now we're moving into something else. But um, we're moving forward in our series. Um, I'm going to pray. Let's, let's pray, because we're going to talk about prayer, so it seems appropriate, doesn't it? Let's stand. Let's stand and pray. Uh, Living God, we exalt you. And uh, Lord, we say words that just don't fit because you are so much bigger than all of them. But I thank you today uh, for the great witness that I see all around me in this congregation. Lord, I lift up all of the insipid evils of racism. And Lord, I ask that you would show me where they are in me, that I might condemn them and crush them and stand righteously before you. Lord, we love you. Speak to us through your word. Speak to us today. Move in us and renew us. Let your spirit fall and shake loose the shackles of fear and doubt, addiction and depression, old scars and old grudges. And Lord, make us new. I ask this in the name of Jesus and through the Spirit. Amen. No, stay standing. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Stay, stay. I'd like to just take it upon yourselves to sit down. This is kind of awkward and weird, but I really need a Kleenex. Anybody got a Kleenex? You might want to mute my mic for a second. I don't know. I'm sorry, guys. I don't, I'm feeling weird today. Um, so we're, uh, in a, in a series, go ahead and hit that mute button. <laughs> it would be so weird and awkward. Uh, we're in a series and my hope today is that this will be an eminently practical thing that you'll walk away 
from today with a new and inspired prayer life, which is a, a tall order. Nevertheless, here we are. What a big week, right? I mean, like government shutdowns, walls, not walls. Uh, I'm suddenly supposed to care what Gillette thinks about manliness. I mean, I, it's, just, it's been a crazy week. And here you all are. You, you have crossed the Arctic Circle to come here today to pray and to sing and to read Scripture. Y'all are weird. We see, it would seem like we have bigger things to worry about uh, than prayer and Scripture and singing and seeing each other's faces. I remember the, the hurricane. I think I might have even mentioned this before, but I just have this vivid memory of the hurricane that hit Haiti. It might have been a decade back now. It was some time back, but it just decimated everything. And I remember these stories coming out um, from commentators about how they thought it was inappropriate, stupid, I don't know what the right word is, that Christians would spend their time praying. Like, you should do something. Like, go do something. If you care about people, then do something. And here's a bunch of Christians praying. Which is, of course, to, to, to assume, I think, in some ways that, that prayer isn't doing something. And I suspect, I suspect that we all might feel that way a little bit. Uh, when I say something like, hey, y'all ought to pray more, does something like this pop into your mind? Like, this is what we ought to be doing. Like, cloistered up and in a room and our monks have it. This is actually from my favorite documentary about mon- uh, a monastery. Um, but that notwithstanding, I think we think of prayer like this. And my hope is that, um, that we will see that prayer today is meant to be an active force. That prayer, if it is not moving us in mission, isn't doing anything. And so the kind of prayer that we're after is not the kind of, the kind of um, maybe Buddhist-like prayer where you're just kind of like kind of getting, getting in touch with your feelings or uh, trying to clear your mind so that you can have a sense of well-being or peace of mind. Or something. The prayer is centrally about moving people in mission to declare the reign of God, okay? And so uh, we see this emerge in Scripture. And one of the first places it emerges is actually the first thing we see the believers doing after Jesus is taken up to heaven. I'm going to give you these passages because uh, they're kind of a little bit all over the place. Um, But uh, this is the first thing that we see. All the believers are together, we read, and they devote themselves to prayer. That's the first thing that Jesus is taken up and that's what they do. They pray. And then, uh, of course, you know how the story goes on after this. We have in chapter 2 of Acts this day of Pentecost. But notice what happens. When the day of Pentecost came, what are they doing? They're all together in one place. And we just saw what they do when they're all together in one place. They're praying. And as they pray, the Spirit descends upon them and empowers them in a, in a miraculous way to go forward and to declare this, this good news. And this is actually a pattern we see in Jesus himself. And I want to display that here. And first and foremost, I want to put it this way. There is a preparation kind of prayer, a prayer in preparation. And then there is prayer in participation. That is, it leads us to do what God is about in the world. So the first thing we see, this is from Luke chapter 6. Jesus in those days goes out onto the mountain. He kind of does this, this thing out on the mountain. 
But what is the purpose of that thing? Is it just to kind of get in touch with himself? Is it just to to get in touch with God? Is it to have some sort of like commune moment with God? No, it leads him to this next day. He comes out and he calls his disciples and he chooses from the twelve. He is preparing for this momentous uh, event where he is going to choose his closest apostles who are then going to make more disciples and more disciples and more disciples until we're here in Portage, Michigan talking about a a Jew who lived 2,000 years ago, right? We see this again in uh, Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, the same thing happens. Jesus gathers together uh, his closest closest guys, the, the inner circle, the inner circle, you might put it that way, Peter and John and James, and they again go onto the mountain to pray. Now, why do they do that? Is it just to get away? What's the point of it? Well, the point of it is that the next day, the crowds are going to surround them again. Partially, of course, it is also to reveal Jesus as they're praying, which is interesting, right? It's as they pray that Jesus transforms in front of them, and they get a small taste of the glory of Jesus Christ. It all happens around prayer. And the point of this is to say, that what prayer is doing is it is preparing, and then as they enter into the world, they are able to participate in what God is doing, which is why when we get to Pentecost, or kind of going back to Pentecost, we get this verse that we're all very familiar with. This is one of those verses that is in our churches all the time. It is this, the, they, so this is all the 3,000 and the apostles and the believers that are gathered um, after Pentecost, They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Y'all with me? All right. This word devoted is kind of an interesting word. Um, It doesn't actually appear very often in the New Testament. I think ten times or thereabout. Uh, But five of the times that it does appear, it actually is attached to prayer. So here are three of them. We've already read the other two. Uh, Acts 6.4, and this is speaking about kind of the elders and the apostles who are speaking. They're going to devote themselves to prayer, to ministry of the word. And then Paul writes in Romans 12.12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant. This word right here is devote. It's that same Greek word. Be constant in prayer. Then Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly, again, devote in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so what this word devote means is, is actually more of an action word. Sometimes we don't think of it that way. Just might, we might think when you read the word devote, you might think affection or, um, or, or commitment to, something like that. Uh, but the word is actually used earlier in Mark in reference to a boat. So Eric says, hey, amen, right? <laughs> to a boat. And a boat that is prepared and ready so that Jesus can jump into the boat and the boat can take off. Does that make sense? So I guess maybe a correlation would be like, how many of you got automatic starters in your cars? Let me see some hands. How many of you are going to hit that baby and let it run for a good 20 minutes? Right? (laughs) Bob's like, right here. Uh, We are, yeah, so anyway, you, (laughs) you hit that button and it's going, and all you have to do is hop in and then you can take right off. It is devoted, it's constant, it's ready to go. And so when the scriptures say that they devoted themselves to prayer, there's a go-ness in that word. Does that make sense? There's a, there's a this is preparing us to, to do something, to, to be active. When you pray, it is an active thing you are doing. It is a force 
not only for you, but for those around you. It's movement, and it's moving us to participation. And so we see two things kind of emerge from these patterns and from these scriptures. And the first one is this, that we need to pray and understand that we are praying for or in or with or whatever, whatever word you want to use, preparation. It has to be making something of us. Jesus goes up on the mountain twice, and he doesn't just do it to commune with God. He does it because he knows there's something that's about to happen. He's preparing for that moment. And we understand this in so many other aspects of our lives. A fighter spars for months before they get in the octagon, right? Uh, the, the, the team hits the gym or runs practice plays or whatever before they actually have the game. Like we understand that you need some kind of preparation in order to activate something in your life. And prayer is that thing. And so when we go into our day or we go into our week or we go into a meeting or a moment or bedtime with the kids. We go into that without the preparation of prayer. We are not ready for the thing that God wants to do in our lives. Does that make sense? So this is going to be a hard turn, I realize. Like, this is just like a stop, start, kind of jerk thing. But um, how many of you saw this this week? Did you guys see this on the news? This is incredible. The story is this, uh, this photographer here, uh, they, there was a dead sperm whale out off the side of, of, of Hawaii, uh, one of the islands there, and she wanted to take some pictures of sharks. And so she, it, there's all these sharks and they're eating and she gets ready and she jumps in the water, which is insane to start, right? We, just, we get that. And she looks around and the sharks are gone. And she's like, well, what happened? Where are the sharks? Well, it's Jaws here shows up. It's a 20-foot the largest recorded 20-foot great white shark. Here's another shot. I, and, here, and here's another one. Yeah, he's, did somebody say he's smiling? Yeah, he's about to eat lunch. He's happy. I mean, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and all of the, all of the uh, experts say that don't do this, right? But... Uh, doesn't it feel sometimes like this is like your week? Like you just kind of like ride next to this thing that's about to take a bite out of you. And I, I just saw this, I saw this story and I saw these pictures. And, that, and the first thought I had when I, when I thought after, I, well after, like that's really stupid. You should get out of the water. Um, but I thought, man, my week feels like that. <laughs> I feel like you're just rolling next to this, this thing that's about to just devour you. At any moment, like life can turn on a dime, Right? You with me? You ever had that happen? Like things are going really well, and then all of a sudden, everything's changed. In fact, the Bible uses a metaphor that's kind of very similar to this. It doesn't use the word shark. It uses the word lion. It says the devil goes, you know this, right? To and fro, like a lion, looking for whom he may devour. Resist him. Now, I'm I'm just taking a quick peek in the room, and I don't mean this to be judgmental, but none of y'all look like you can take on a lion. Right? I, I, I'm not going to defeat this in hand-to-hand combat. Right? And so this is a very interesting, this is a very interesting verse here. The devil is like a lion. He's, he's looking to devour someone. And then the advice that's given to us is this. Yeah, go ahead and resist that. How are you going to do that? We're going to prepare ourselves 
for a, a world that is out of control. And it has become more and more out of control. And if there's one thing that social media has taught us, it should teach you this. The world's out of control and your comments and posts and thoughts aren't going to change it. Right? And so, and so what are we to do? We are to look toward God, the one who actually can defeat lions and tigers and bears. <laughs> Sharks or oh my, either one is an appropriate answer. We look to the one who actually can do these things, who wants to then use us in such a way, empower us like Samson to tie foxes together and light their tails and let them roll, to tear a lion apart with our bare hands, right? These things are things that God wants to utilize us for, but we need his power, his spirit in order to do that. If Samson teaches us nothing else, it, it, it should be that, that God can do great things, when we are prepared, and we do that through prayer, which of course leads to the very next point, which is that praying has to include our participation. It has to include you going forth and doing something. It has to include the mission of God in the world. And we talked about this last week when Jesus teaches us how to pray. You know, he says, um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then immediately after we think about God's holiness, his otherness, his goodness, his greatness, his mercy, we think all of a sudden, your kingdom come, your will be done. These are mission words. They're mission words that we are told then. Now, if you're praying that all the time, shouldn't you be about his kingdom coming and his will being done? Right? That, that, that inherently means prayer is an active thing. When I ask you to pray, I am not saying cloister yourself away. I'm not saying get on your knees and, and, just, and just pray for an hour a day. I'm not, I'm not asking any of those kinds of things. I'm asking you to think and move your mind from prayer as a, uh, as a spiritual exercise into prayer as motivation for ministry. Prayer as participation with God in the world. Prayer as moving you to speak truth and life into people's, into people's lives. I think of the passages uh, from Ephesians, uh, the armor of God stuff. You guys remember that, right? Um, here, we'll give it to you. Ephesians. At the end of all of that, after he has said, uh, you know, put on the helmet of salvation and put on the breastplate of righteousness and the, the belt of truth and the shoes of peace and, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Like, after you've, you've geared up and ready for battle, he leaves his metaphor completely. He just drops it. The illustration is done. And he says this, praying at all times in the spirit. Praying at how often? We'll try that again. You guys, it was, it was, I sprung it on you. It's all right. Praying at, in the spirit, with all, again, prayer, you just said that, prayer and supplication, and to that end, keep alert with, pers- with all perseverance, pers- you know, you can see, making supplication, another prayer, how many times can you mention prayer in one sentence, right? You think he's got a point there that he's trying to get across to us. You can be ready for battle, geared up, ready to go, ready to go and face that Mongol horde, whatever it is, the shark, the lion, the devil, whatever it is. But if prayer is not repeatedly in your life at all times, that armor will not protect you. And you will not be effective for mission, which is, of course, what we all, those of us who are believers here today, we all want to be effective for mission. And why is all of this true? This is true because if we rewind it back up to the beginning of what he has to say there in Ephesians, 
We're to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle against, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, and here he gives different categories of opponents, enemies to the will and rule of God. There are rulers who oppose the rule and will of God. There are authorities who oppose the rule and will of God. There are cosmic powers over this present darkness that oppose the rule and will of God. And there are spiritual forces of evil in unseen and heavenly places that oppose the rule and will of God. And those are all terrifying lion, 20-foot great white shark opponents. Those opponents are ideas, behaviors, Ethics, virtues, things that set themselves up and root themselves in people's lives so deeply that they're blinded to their own evil. And if we want to oppose that unseen power that is over people's lives, we need our own unseen power. And that power is found in prayer. And we don't leave that prayer behind. No, that prayer ignites the fire, but the fire burns as you move on. As you move into your week, as you go into work, as you do what, whatever it is that you do. And I want to do something very practical here uh, to try to make this concrete. Uh, how many of you play video games? Uh, not as many as I would hope. That's all right. <laughs> we, had a, we had a fun discussion in, uh, in youth group this morning about whether uh, sports were a waste of time or video games were a waste of time. Uh, boys and girls had different opinions about this. It was very interesting. Um, anyway, uh, I am a cheater. Make no bones about it. If I get stuck in a video game, and so this might fall flat for some of you, but if you've ever played a video game or know what a video game is, I, I will immediately go to the internet, and they will give me a walkthrough. It is like, you go here, you turn left here, you kill the monster or the alien, and you collect the treasure or whatever it is, step by step. And I want to think through prayer in a similar way. You have prepared this morning. We have sought to prepare you to go into the world today. You have heard scripture um, several times. Uh, Jack has prayed over us twice. I've prayed. You've prayed during communion. We've partaken together as the body of Christ. The spirit is present and active and alive in you. You are prepared to go into the world. And what is that world but, I don't know, Denny's, wherever it is that you are going to frequent after that. And you, as a primary uh, activity of the church, as a Christian, are to take prayer into Denny's. I must have Denny's on the mind. I don't know why I'm going there. It's like the worst place. Waffle House. Waffle House. Yeah, you going going into Waffle House. And the person who waits on you, let's say, because you are a praying Christian, you say to that person, hey, uh, we're Christians and we're going to pray before we eat and, and, and thank God for it. Is there anything we can pray for you about? I do this frequently and I've never had anyone say, well, Christians are stupid and I hate God, don't pray for me. They open up. Because fundamentally, I know this is true about you, and I know it is true about me. We want to be known. You want to be known. And that person who delivers food to you wants to be known. They are made in the image of God. And you have stopped the world 
with all of its fake news, not fake news, sound bites, social, all the insanity. You've stopped the world. You've stopped the food service industry in the Waffle House to ask this person and to treat them as though they are made in the image of God. It's a beautiful thing. And they'll say to you something like, uh, oh, my grandpa's really sick. Or, uh, you know, yeah, no, things are, things are hard. Or, you know, I've got some kid, that, a kid at home that's sick. And you say, well, I, we'll pray for that. We're going to pray for that. You've done a meaningful thing, but I want to ask an ethics question. When they bring the wrong food to your table and mess up your order, how will you treat them? I sure hope it's different. <laughs> when, uh, when it comes time to tip them, these people who live on tips, how will you tip them? Immediately, we've moved ourselves into a risky position. That's why I don't put any kind of Christian bumper stickers on my car. I can't have that kind of, I can't have that kind of work. <laughs> right? How are you going to treat that person? How are you going to interact with that? You've changed everything about that interaction. It was a business transaction between this person who was your servant and you who paid them. And now they are an individual who matter in the sight of God and you. And based upon that interaction, that all that happens after that, they might have a completely new thought about who Christians are and who God is. Because of one little thing, you prayed for them. And you can take that into anything, right? I mean, slow down the Meyer, uh, Meyer checkout line. Slow things down. Make things stop. I just I think of this. I have this 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 incredible vision of of a whole I don't know hundred ish hundred twenty hundred thirty. It's a little bit lower this morning because of the weather. But uh, going into the world today, and you guys praying over everything you see like madmen. <laughs> Sophie likes that, <laughs> and I just think it's incredible. I think that's what God wants to see the world uh, become. There's a thing called muscle memory. Are you familiar with muscle memory? Muscle memory where you've trained something long enough that you can just kind of do it. <laughs> this is video gaming. I know exactly where to shoot. <laughs> Bob. <laughs> uh, good. Yes. Uh, that did throw me off, though. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so muscle memory. So uh, Malcolm Gladwell, who, who wrote this great book called Outliers, it says there's about 10,000 hours of muscle memory for us to be reactive just immediately. And I've seen people do, I've seen like women like, like knitting while watching TV. It's incredible to me, like, because I, I couldn't do anything with that, but they're just like, go a while. Or Paul, when he's playing, or anybody who's playing instruments, like, you don't have to look because you know what you're doing. The muscle memory is ingrained. I want you to think about prayer like muscle memory. I want you to pray so much and so often that when a person comes up to you and, and you're just having the interaction, right? You're just having the interaction. You're like, hey, how you doing? Because we all say that, right? We all say that. How you doing? They say, oh, we're fine. You know, so-and-so's sick, so-and-so's whatever. And I want you to stop. I want the muscle memory to be so in you that you stop the moment and you say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that your kid's sick. Let me pray for you. I'm sorry to hear that you're having a hard time. Let's pray about it. I'm sorry it works really rough. Let's, let's pray. Who's the person that's causing the trouble? Let's pray for them. That you're that kind of person. You're a madman. You're a madwoman. You're crazy. You're praying over everything because the more we pray, the more we invite God. The more we invite God into that situation, and we are the ages. We sing this. We are the hope on earth. That is, a, that is a bold claim to make. That's a bold claim to make. 
If you are the hope on earth, if I'm the hope on earth, like that sounds like a bad deal, earth. I'm sorry, right? How is it possible that that could even be something that we would ever say? How could the scriptures ever talk about? Could only talk about by this, that somehow God is channeling his goodness, righteousness, mercy, peace, and love through this broken and terrible and awful and horrible clay pot. And that by passing through me, he's changing me as well. Sanctifying me is the word we used to use. Sanctifying, making me holier as I press forward the good news into the world. Every single one of you here today, if you're a Christian, you are this. If you're not a Christian, you're made for, for it. That's why you exist. We aren't going to pray forever, guys. Do you ever think about that? When the kingdom comes, praying's done. Like, it's a point of prayer when God's like right there. I think that's probably just raising our hands. I'm like, hey, over here. I, prayer, see, like what prayer has a temporal, temporal meaning. And that meaning is this, that you are praying for preparation and that as that you are prepared to fight that 220-foot great white shark, you take that prayer into the world and you participate with what God is doing in the world. That's what it's all about. Prayer is not doing nothing. Prayer is the most active thing we can possibly be doing. Bottom step. I want to leave you with one thought as we uh, close it up and the band comes up. This comes from John chapter 15. And I, I got this idea from one of my favorite scholars, uh, Dr. Gorman. Um, but he points out uh, this text that you might be familiar with, this, this passage uh, where Jesus talks about being the vine, right? I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you cannot bear fruit. And so Jesus says, abide in me. But then he makes it active and says, abide in me for a purpose. Abide in me for the purpose that you will bear much fruit. That clusters of grapes, right? I mean, in terms of the horticultural imagery of it, you have a vine and you have this branch and you have this cluster of beautiful, delicious grapes. You are to produce beautiful fruit. Fruits like love and peace and joy and righteousness, caring about those around you. Like, and how do you do that? You abide in Jesus. But this is a participatory activity, isn't it? To plug into Jesus through prayer is also to move us into the world to be agents of righteousness. They have to see that. And you do that when you take prayer with you. And that's what I am praying. I have this, I do, I have this, had this vision this week, just this imagining in my mind of all of us streaming out from this place and just covering Portland and Kalamazoo and Vicksburg and wherever it is that you go and that every time you run into something that can either be prayed over or blessed with thanksgiving, that you are praying over it. And I just imagine all of the incredible things that God could do if every time I stopped the world and said, no, let's pray about that. What could God do? So as we come to a conclusion this morning, uh, our elders are going to come down front and uh, we'll be here to pray if you need prayer. Um, they'll probably go, go to the side a little bit because it's a little weird to stand in the spotlight. But if you need prayer, uh, come and see them or, or turn to the person next to you. Uh, you know, don't leave this room without praying for someone and opening up to someone and telling somebody, I need prayer here. I'm struggling. There's nothing wrong with that. It's life. So let's stand as we sing.